Our scripture reading today is from 1 John chapter 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write, we write this to make our joy complete. Amen. Uh, welcome and good afternoon. My name is Morgan. I'm the lead pastor here. If you're new to Mosaic, uh, before we begin, just want to say a special thank you to our team in MKids for the Parents' Day Out yesterday. How about that? Yeah, uh, it was such a great time and I was able to be here at the door and say hi to some folks. And let me just tell you, I have never seen a more happy group of parents a more smiley group of people than those who were up here yesterday. Some of you, if you were here and you brought your kids, you haven't been that happy and excited since you got married, you know. So it was a great day and a great time, and we look forward to doing it again next year. And all God's parents said, amen, amen, right. Uh, So as you can see, we're beginning a brand new series here for the month of December called The Arrival. And the reason we're calling it that is because Christians for centuries have called the Christmas season the season of Advent. And Advent is simply a word that means the coming of or the arrival of. In other words, by calling Christmas the Advent Christians have said that something has arrived, something new has come into the world, and as a matter of fact, has changed the world. And so that's what we're going to be looking at this month from the book of 1 John, a letter written by an eyewitness to the life and the times and the ministry of Jesus. So each week from each chapter, we'll be taking a look at one thing that John says has arrived with Jesus. And so to begin today and see what's arrived with Jesus, I want to ask and try to answer a single question. And your answer to this question is so important. And I'm not just asking this question uh, of Christians today. If you're new and you're a guest and you're not a person of faith or a Christian and your boyfriend drug you here, your, your, your friend, you know, bribed you to come here, you know, good for you. Uh, but your answer to this question is so important, whether you're new or whether you're, you're older or whether you're, you're a skeptic or you're a Christian, you're somewhere in between. And that question I want to ask you today is simply this. What do you think the foundation of the Christian faith is? What do you think that is? What do you think the foundation of the Christian faith is? And to help you see what I think John's saying it is and isn't, I want to tell you a story. I became a Christian about 23 years ago, and soon after that, I graduated, and I went into campus ministry at the University of Texas right here in Austin in 1999. But about two years into my time there, something happened which changed everything. And if you were alive then and old enough to remember it, you'll never forget it. Because that event that happened was September 11th, 2001. When those men flew those planes into those buildings and killed all those people. And in the aftermath of that, something began to change, which I noticed in my time on campus. While, while America went to war in the Middle East, and while our nation went on the hunt for those responsible, a group of people began to rise up at the same time as the internet. And that group of people was a group of people who were skeptical of all faiths in general, and especially Christianity in specific. And they used those attacks on those buildings as justification for, and especially 
springboard for their beliefs. And that group of people have become known as the new atheists. And if you remember for that, you know, roughly decade and a half, even today, after 9-11, this group of people was everywhere. Uh, You could not walk into a bookstore without seeing their books at Borders or Barnes & Noble. You you couldn't turn on the TV without seeing them some show or some debate. And their, their books and their ideas about how religion poisons everything or about how God is just a delusion, began to make their rounds. And slowly but surely they began to turn their attacks and their misinformation or their offenses about God or church or people of faith, not just to religion in general, but to Christianity in specific. And so into bookstores they went and online they spread. And unlike in generations past where you had to maybe go to a university setting and buy a ticket to to watch a debate or hear an atheist speak, now you could sit at home or be in a coffee shop or be on the bus or on the train or in your car to watch or hear their nonstop attack against Christianity. And do you know what their main point of attack was and is? Well, there were a number of points, but the main point of their debate and attack over and over and over again was against the reliability of and the validity of the Bible. Against the validity and the reliability of the Bible. They went after texts like Genesis, Deuteronomy, Joshua, books like Samuel and Jonah and Isaiah. And they pulled out stories and lines or quotes and they tried to either prove the inaccuracy of, or the inconsistency of, or the impossibility of, or the offense of phrases, ideas, and stories, and authors. But what we should ask is, well, why did they do that? With all their learning and expertise, why did they go after the Christian faith there? Well, they did that, I believe, because they were exploiting, trying to exploit, a faulty foundation that Christians have built their faith on. A faulty presupposition that many American Christians, particularly in the West, have had. And that thinking is this. Here's the thinking. That as the Bible goes, so goes Christianity. That's the idea. As the Bible goes, so goes Christianity. So we should ask, well, why have people thought this? Well, it's because for centuries, right up even into the late 20th century, we have grown up in a culture that has honored and respected, for the most part, authority. That respected truth and the idea that something somewhere is bigger than me and bigger than you and bigger than the individual to which we should respond and show respect. And so because America was largely Christian, that authority, you know, idea led to the Christian faith. And so when adults told children to believe the Bible, they just did because children will believe whatever you tell them. And because we knew as a culture, you know, we're not Buddhist, we're not Muslim, we're not Hindus, and we certainly aren't communists, we certainly aren't atheists, and even though we as a culture didn't really read the Bible, we handed it to our kids and told them it was true and that the Bible was the ultimate basis for Christianity. And so it used to be that you could walk on many university campuses, and I did for a number of years. And when you spoke to students, even if they weren't believers, even if they weren't living for God, you could still appeal to them and convict their hearts with these words, the Bible says. You should believe because the Bible says. But I want you to know, if you haven't known this before, that those days are long gone. 
Those days are long gone. The days of being able to say to your friend or your coworker or your neighbor or your family member and certainly another generation of high school and college students that they should believe just because the Bible says those days are long gone. And as faith and authority has eroded, as the internet has bloomed, as the new atheists have gone on the attack, our culture has shifted in a way that bothers me. And I believe it bothers many of you, and maybe you don't know how to fix it, or you don't know what to say to it, or how to respond in the face of it. And that shift is this. Over the last roughly decade and a half in the U.S., since 9-11, the percentage of the religiously unaffiliated in our country has grown from 16% to 25%. Then they are called the nuns, the N-O-N-E-S, not the other nun maybe some of you may be familiar with, but the N-O-N-E-S, the nuns, because they have no religious affiliation. They do not, though, identify as atheists. That percentage has remained steady at around 4 to 6%. But that group, that 16, now 25% of Americans, have just given up and walked away from faith and church altogether. Why? Well, when you survey them, there are a number of reasons they give from walking away from faith and church and God. They say things like, we don't like how tightly wound the church is with politics. Or they'll say things like, we don't like how mean or how hypocritical Christians can sometimes be. But the main reason they have given for walking away is simply this. They say, we can't believe the Bible anymore. That's what they say. They don't believe anymore that every word, every line, every story, every author in all 66 books is true. And so like a house of cards, when a professor or a friend or a book has come their way or an internet article they read by somebody somewhere has cast doubt on one line, one book, or one story, their house of faith has collapsed. And listen, this is personal for some of you because for some of you, this is your story today sitting in this room. That's where you are. And for some of you, this is personal because this has been the story of your teenager or of your young adult or of your son or daughter. You raised them in the church or you grew up with them in the church. And then one day they came home from college, two years at university, uh, one day from a, a seminar or a conversation or a book they read. And they have said, I just can't believe anymore. But even though I want to tell you that is so tough and that is so hard and heartbreaking and not good at all. I want to tell you today there is actually good news in the middle of all of that. There's actually amazing and encouraging news in the middle of all of that. And that good news is this, that that thought, that accusation, that statement, that as the Bible goes, so goes Christianity, that is not true. It never has been, and it never will be. And you say, why can you say that, Morgan? Here's why. Because the Bible never says that. And the New Testament writers never said that. Jesus never said that. And the early Christians never said that or believed that. And as a matter of fact, let me just press you at this point. If you only believe that Christianity is true because the Bible says so, in principle, you are no different than a Muslim who believes the Quran is true because the Quran says so, or a Jew who believes Judaism is true because the Hebrew scriptures say so, or a Hindu who believes in Hinduism because the Vedas or a, or a family member says so, or an atheist who believes in nothing because Dawkins or Hitchens or Harris say so. And so if you're here and you're either on one hand, you're questioning things because you believe either you, you can't believe because you know, the Bible says so, or if you're here and you only believe 
just because the Bible says so. I want to tell you something, that John, the writer of this letter to the first century church, he was an eyewitness to, he was a follower of Jesus, he has something to say to you and me and us today. He writes this, he says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, which our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it. Now notice what he's doing and not, and, and not doing, what he's saying and not saying. He is not saying that you should believe because a book tells you so or because your parents tell you so. No, it is way, way better than that. John is simply saying what the first church, the first Christian said over and over and over again, and that maybe we've forgotten, but it's time we remember. John is saying that at the center of Christianity, at the center of the Christian faith is not A book he has read, but a person he has touched. Did you catch the difference? At the center of the Christian faith is not a verse that he quotes, but a man who has spoken. See, John is saying that he heard Jesus speak. He saw Jesus with his own eyes. His own hands touched a real Jesus body. And after hearing and seeing everything that happened to Jesus, including a death on a Roman cross and a resurrection from a Roman tomb, John is saying, oh, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. But he's not saying you should believe in Jesus because it is written. He is saying you should believe because it happened. Because it happened. Because hear me, when John claimed that Jesus was God, there was absolutely nothing in his life, nothing in his background, nothing in his family or faith that could have ever given you one single clue as to why John would have said this or believe he could have come up with this on his own. See, John was a Jew. No one told him to believe in Jesus because they said so or because the Bible said so or because a pastor or a church said so. John says you can believe not because I say so. John says you can believe because I saw so. Not because it is written, but because something happened. Now, there are many parts of a New Testament where the authors write something like, it is written. And I love that. But when they're doing that, hear me, they are not trying to prove the Bible is true, as much as they are trying to show you that a person has come true. They are trying to show you that the amazing and beautiful promise that God gave to Abraham has really now come true. That through the Jewish people, through the nation of Israel, chosen to be a cocoon and a womb for God's plan in the world, now the promise has finally arrived. But hear me, and this is such an important distinction. The Hebrew scriptures don't alone prove Jesus is the son of God. Ready? The life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead prove Jesus is the son of God. Because if a person predicts their own death and their own resurrection and then it happens, I'm going to tend to believe what they say. I'm going to tend to believe what they say. Listen, your birth certificate doesn't prove you are real and true. 
You, your existence proves your birth certificate is real and true. Your birth certificate is proof something happened. And so in a way, in a way, that's what the New Testament is. It is the birth certificate of Jesus Christ. It's showing you that something new has been birthed into the world. Someone new has come into the world. You say, well, what about the Old Testament, huh? Morgan, what about, what about the Hebrew Scriptures? Well, all right, yeah, I love them, you know. But if you want to really understand the Hebrew Scriptures, you have to do with them what we try to do here with them and what Jesus does with them. You work backward from him to them. From him to them. Because he is what they're all about. He tells you he is what they are all about, but they don't prove they are right. That's circular reasoning. Jesus proves they are right and have been all along. And therefore, what John is giving you, giving me, as either a Christian or a skeptic today, is the new foundation for faith. And here is why. Here's why this is so important. It was so important. You can't miss this. It's because every faith system has a book which says it's right because somebody wrote it. But Christianity is so different. It's so far above and beyond and greater than that. Because what John is saying here is this, not as the Bible goes, so goes Christianity, but as Jesus goes, so goes Christianity. And as Jesus goes, so goes the Bible. That's good news. Morgan, are you saying that the whole thing hinges upon one life and one event? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying because that's what the first Christians claimed. Think about it. What did the apostle Paul write? What did he say once upon a time? He said things like this in a letter he wrote around 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus to believers in Corinth. And he said, here is the most important thing. Here is the foundation for the Christian faith. He doesn't say it's Genesis He doesn't say it's other books. He doesn't even say it's his own letters. He says, here's the most important thing about the whole thing. He writes this, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, it's Peter, and then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, like a collective Jesus sighting, most of whom are still living. So you can go talk to them if you don't believe me. Then he says he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also. He says, look at the center of it. It's a person who really lived, really died, was really resurrected. And you can go talk to and interview hundreds of people who have seen him alive again. And then Paul summarizes what he's saying a few verses later. Verse 14, he says, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. What's that, Paul? What's that, John? As Jesus goes, so goes Christianity. As the resurrection of Christ goes, so goes Christianity. Yes, that's right. Because what's at the center of it all? John is showing you. Paul is showing you. It's a person, a life, an event, something. And if you'd have been there with your iPhone XRS or whatever in the world are selling you this Christmas, and you had your Google Pixel camera, you could have 
you know, punched it and swiped it and caught it on camera. You could have done that. You say, well, I would have liked to have done that. Because if I could have done that, then maybe I could have believed it. Maybe, maybe not. Because can't film be doctored? Yes. Can what's captured on a single camera be manipulated or disputed? Come on, Kennedy assassination. Yes, it can. So what you have, though, with the New Testament documents is something even better than a camera. You've got all different kinds of people, all different kinds of backgrounds, ethnicities, education levels, genders, all saying, reporting the same thing that once upon a real time, there was really someone named Jesus of Nazareth who really lived, died, and was resurrected. And so if you have been skeptical, hear me, to believe just because a parent or a pastor or a church told you so, in a way, that's okay. Don't listen to me and let me be just another voice. Listen to, consider, and think about those who saw the Jesus, here's the word, event. Jesus' event for themselves. Think about a person named James who wrote a letter people now call, guess what? James, yes. James was written by James, and James was, wait for it, the brother, the half-brother of Jesus Christ. Now, come on, come on. What would it take for you to believe that your own brother was God? Some of you have siblings. You think, no way. I grew up with them. Exactly. Once upon a time, James did not believe. Then he believed, and he was stoned to death for claiming that his own brother was his own God. Think about Paul. Paul, who wrote most of, most of the New Testament, much of it. And one day he went from someone who had literally memorized books in the Hebrew Scriptures, and he did not believe Jesus was God, to in one afternoon, a person who did believe and realized that his whole way of seeing all of the Hebrew Scriptures had been wrong. What changed Paul's life? It wasn't knowing a verse because he knew them all. It was meeting a person. He claims Jesus Christ appeared to him alive again. And then Paul suffered and he starved and he was tortured and he went to prison and he was executed for believing and claiming that he gained nothing nothing but misery and blood and pain and poverty for it. Think about Luke, a Greek doctor who wrote a book called Luke, yes, uh, an account of the life of Jesus. And from the jump, as the kids say these days, the very first words in his book, he writes this, I have carefully investigated everything. I have interviewed the eyewitnesses and the people and the leaders and the family, and I've written down what really happened so that you may believe that Jesus really died and really rose from the dead. See, Luke's not saying it has been written. He's saying it really happened. Now you have to explain the church. Think about that. Where did literally, and I mean literally overnight, thousands of Jesus followers come from? They didn't even know what to call themselves. Overnight, in the center of, in the middle of, in the tension between two cultures, the Romans and the Jewish people, two cultures designed to and that did try to kill it, the church flourished. That would be as impossible as bacteria growing in bleach, or sorry, because i got to get this off my chest, the Texas Rangers winning the World Series this year. It wouldn't just be inexplicable. It would be impossible, right? Thousands are processing my pain verbally here. What we do. 
thousands of Jews overnight abandoned everything they'd ever been taught and were excommunicated by their families in a shame and honor culture. Thousands of Greeks and Romans overnight abandoned their loyalty to the state and they said there was no Lord, no Kyrios, but Christ. And they were executed for it. They were powerless and penniless and they did not believe because it was written. They believed because something happened. And you see, maybe, maybe the skeptics have gotten it all wrong. And maybe you have too. Maybe you've missed what John has said all along. That right from the beginning, not as the Bible goes, so goes Christianity. But as Jesus goes, so goes Christianity. He's saying that the center of it all is a Roman cross and an empty tomb and a living person. That's the foundation of the Christian faith. Morgan, are you trying to downgrade the Bible? No, no, no. I'm trying to upgrade it in your minds and recapture what those first Christians knew and maybe what some of us have forgotten. Morgan, are you saying the Bible is not important? Oh, no. It is crucial. It is irreplaceable. I believe it's the inspired Word of God. We teach from it every single week. Old and New Testaments. Is Morgan, is Genesis not important? No, I spent half the year this year. Some of you here, you know this, talking about Genesis. I'm not juggling texts. I'm not presenting options. I read it every day, teach my children to, and so should you. But I don't just want you to come and just believe the Bible. I want you to experience Jesus in the Bible and and experience him through all the books that the eyewitnesses and those who knew the eyewitnesses agreed upon. And they said, yes, those are all about him. And here's why I want you to believe. Here's why I want us to believe. Here's why John is wanting you to believe that today. And here it is. He writes this, verse 4. He says, we write this to make our joy complete. That word can also be translated as your, your translation may says that. They're interchangeable. He's saying your joy, our joy, y'all's joy. I'm writing to make y'all's joy complete. John's saying, I've experienced something because of Jesus, and I want you to experience that same thing as well. And that experience is an experience of joy. Joy. And this is so important. This is so crucial. And this is so important to see and hear why. And let me tell you this. If you don't, haven't seen this before, let me tell you, it is possible to go to church but not go to Jesus It's possible to go to the Bible, but not go to Jesus. It's possible to go to a verse and not go to Jesus. It's possible to serve in a church and not serve or go to Jesus. Because did you actually know you can use church to avoid Jesus? You can. Do you know you can use the Bible to avoid Jesus? Do you know you can use your good behavior to avoid Jesus? Some of you may know or you've read the great Christian author. Her name was Flannery O'Connor. And she was a genius at writing characters who reveal the darkness and the hypocrisy of people who do life and faith and church and Bible without Jesus. And she had a character she wrote named Hazel Motes, who it was said about him, she wrote that he had, look at this, a deep, black, wordless conviction that the best way to avoid Jesus was to avoid sin. She writes, he was using his good behavior to avoid Jesus. Just like you and I, we can use the Bible or church or some church leader or some offense that you may have experienced today as justification for avoiding Jesus or some college professor's thinking or some book you've read somewhere to avoid Jesus. And if the process, if that's you, you and I, we will miss out on the joy 
that comes from knowing Jesus. Let me ask you, is there joy in your life today? Is there? Do your kids see it if you have them? And do they know where it comes from? Do your coworkers see joy in your life today? And if so, do they know where it comes from? Because once upon a time, let me tell you, this was not me. I was raised in a church and raised in a private school where I read the Bible, where I memorized the Bible, where I recited the Bible, where I sang the Bible. And I'm so grateful for that. I'm grateful I was not taught another false faith. And I'm glad I had those seeds sown into my soul. But by the time I was a high school student, let me tell you, I had missed it. I was so far from God. I used people, used women, lied to everyone around me, and was in general a fake and a fraud. And do you know how I justified that with the Bible, with church. I tell myself I'm okay because I know the Bible. I've memorized Genesis 1, Luke 2, Psalm 23, Psalm 100, Romans 3, Romans 6. I'm okay because I go to church every week, not because I want to. My parents make me, but whatever, you know. See, I was doing with Jesus what he said was possible because he said one time to the Pharisees, he said, you think you know the Bible, But you don't, because you don't know me. I'm what the whole thing is all about. And so today, for many of us, maybe you today, you have forgotten what the whole thing is all about. Or maybe you're here, and it's just beginning to dawn on you what the whole thing is about. Or maybe you're realizing that what you thought it was all about is not really what it's all about. Because the night I became a Christian, I went to a Bible study because that's what people who call themselves Christians were supposed to do. But I was lost. I had no joy. I lived the life of a hypocrite because I was using the Bible and church to avoid Jesus. But something happened that night that can ch- change everything and can happen to you. That night, I encountered not a verse, but I encountered a person. There was a real supernatural presence that touched me, overwhelmed me. And like the Apostle Paul, oh, I met the one I'd been running from. Jesus Christ became real to me in a way that was undeniable. Overnight, I was freed from addictions I had had for years. I surrendered my life to him for who he is, which is Lord and God, which he proved when he was resurrected from the dead. And then out of nowhere that night, I began to experience this. Not something weird, but something wonderful. It was joy. Joy. I walked out of there a new person. Why? Oh, that's because that's what Jesus does. That's who he is. And what happened to me that night, I proclaim to you. And so if you're here today and you only believe something, Because you read it somewhere, let me tell you, that is a shallow faith that will not be good enough when the attacks of culture come, or the attacks of your family come, or the attacks of skeptics come, or when your culture, or your college, or your professor says something to you, or your circumstances change, or that pastor hurts you, or that church falls to pieces. I've seen all those things happen, and people have come and gone because they needed something deeper than what they had, which every New Testament writer pushes you toward. They need, you need an experience of Jesus, not because it's story time in Sunday school, but because there was a real event called the resurrection, which really happened. And the best way those eyewitnesses knew how to get it to you was to write it down. 
And if you're here and you know that somehow you've been keeping yourself away from Jesus, you've been avoiding him using church, using the Bible, using service, using your giving, and you can know this because sometimes there's a, many times there's just a lack of joy in your life that you try to fill with stuff and more stuff, especially at the holidays. We try to fill it with cars with big red ribbons on it in our driveways on Christmas morning or with kisses from Kay or whatever your Instagram feed tells you that you need. Listen, if you're faking it today, just stop. When you come here, don't come here for here. Come here for Jesus. When you go to your Bible, go to your Bible for Jesus. When you serve here, go after him. Let me ask you, do you know what this whole thing is about for me and for John and for Brett and for Galen and our staff? It's about knowing him more. That's what it's about, experiencing him more, the joy of knowing him more. And that's why if you keep coming, yeah, you'll always hear about him. You're like, every single week, it's about Jesus. Yes, it is. From any part of the Bible we ever look at, because it either points to him or it reveals who he was more, because he wants to, we want to make your joy complete. Isn't that what he promised us, John 15, 11? He said, I came that your joy may be complete as a person and as a people, and we'll look at that part next week. But if you're here and you don't believe in Jesus because you think it was just and only written somewhere, let me tell you, that is not a good, good enough reason to disbelieve. It's not good enough. Because if that's you, you're going to have to prove that something didn't happen in history, didn't change people's lives, didn't change the world, and that the lives of the people who wrote those documents were fakes and frauds and shams and liars. And if you are honest, you know you cannot prove that because 2,000 years plus of anti-Christian scholarship has not been able to prove that. So please, don't get hung up on the lives of some people somewhere who have hurt you. Don't get hung up on the lives of that pastor who fouled out or that church that fell apart. What you should get hung up on today, what you should not be able to get past is the fact that Jesus Christ claimed to be God, that he really died, he really came back to life, and here's the kicker of all kickers, that he claims that he loves you and wants a relationship with you to bring you into his joy. But maybe, maybe if that's just too much for you all at once, let me encourage you. In a way, you can begin to follow before you believe. People followed Jesus all the time before they believed. And then at some point they did. Why? Oh, because they found out what you just might. That following him will make your life better. Not because you'll get richer, although you might if you quit buying all the stuff. Not because you'll lose weight, although you might if you quit eating all the Christmas cookies. But your life will be better because you'll be better. Because if Jesus was really God and we believe he is, then what he taught about how to live can only make your life better and bring you, to use John's word, more joy. So just start following until you believe. It literally, it literally took some of uh, Jesus' closest friends years to believe he was who he said he was. And they were up front because to believe that a man is really the son of God and God became man... That's not the easiest thing to swallow. 
But for others of you here today, something maybe has clicked inside you, not because of anything I've said, but because that's just how God works and something inside you is pulling you toward him today and you know this is your moment and it will give you an opportunity to respond here in just a second. See, to trust Jesus just means that you, here's a Bible word, repent and you turn your back on everything and everyone that's been keeping your heart from trusting him first and most and best. See, you just really believe that he died and was resurrected for you. Friends, as a church, as Christian people, let me tell you, when Jesus came, he brought with himself what arrived was a better reason to believe. Not just an airtight book, not just an airtight argument or apologetic seminar, but what came with Jesus was an airtight person. In the person of Jesus, God has arrived. Don't we sing it? Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king.